by William Bartius entitled An Allegory of Avarice. The gallery describes it this way. An old woman in a fur-trimmed cape and gold-embroidered headscarf is seated before a table weighing gold. A money bag sits in her lap, while a second rests on the table together with a pile of gold and silver coins, gold chains, a pocket watch, and a box of weights. Captured in a moment of deep concentration, she weighs a gold coin using a balance held in her poised right hand while carefully selecting a weight from the box. The artist has paid close attention to the modelling of the old woman's careworn, wrinkled face and hands, as well as to the detailed description of various fabrics of her clothing and the still-life elements. It was popular in the 17th century to use an elderly person weighing gold to represent avarice, that means greed. The idea is that an elderly person should have better things to do than to scrutinize their money. The portrayal of an older woman is also deliberate, suggesting that youth and beauty, like wealth, is fleeting and a chasing after wind. I find it extremely amusing that she is weighing each and every single coin on those teeny tiny pair of scales. I mean, each coin has the same monetary value as every other coin, regardless of its actual weight, isn't it? But perhaps Batsia's point is precisely this absurd obsession with how much possession. Greed does not rest until it knows how many grams of gold there is, and she would probably be frustrated when today's gold coins weigh less than yesterday's gold coins. Yes, today's topic is greed, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let us be reminded that we're talking about the 10th commandment today. This is the final installment of our Perfect Ten series. We have begun this series as part of our catechesis efforts for 2020, the Diocesan Year of Personal Discipleship. God willing, in the second half of the year, we'll have a Christian education series on the Apostles' Creed and maybe another series on the Lord's Prayer. These three, the Decalogue, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, are foundational instructions for the Christian faith. It is our hope and prayer that through these foundational instructions, our congregation may be reminded of the sort of people God wants us to be, and also know that whatever God empowers us to do is far easier than what the world demands of us. To the end that we voluntarily desire to be that sort of person and community that is worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ. We have many things to cover today. I will first expound on the final commandment and in the second half of this sermon, conclude this series. What is the 10th commandment? In Exodus 20, verse 17, God commands, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In Hebrew, to covet means to have an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. A house can either mean a physical dwelling place or refer to a person's entire family and property. Examples of valuable possessions are provided. Wife and slaves are belongings in the sense that they are protected or provided for by the owner. 
ox and donkey and other items which may be purchased, bred or otherwise produced by the person also belongs to him. And then we have the all-inclusive pronoun, anything, that stretches the law to essentially cover everything. This leaves us with no doubt that the Ten Commandment means that we are to cover nothing that already belongs to someone else. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul expresses covetousness with a Greek verb which is translated as the love of money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We can understand Paul to mean that covetousness leads us to break all the other commandments. When we covet the blessings and protection of other gods, besides the Lord our God, we commit idolatry. When we covet for the salary and status of our better-off colleagues, working doubly hard for these things, we break the Sabbath law. When we covet our parents' inheritance or begrudge supporting them, we dishonour our father and our mother. When we covet someone else's wife, we commit adultery. And in order to get what we want, our sinful nature leads us to kill, steal and destroy other people with lies. And that's not all. The love of money carries with it an additional nuance that is not found in the Hebrew. Apart from an extreme greed, the verb means at the same time miserliness, stinginess, tight-fisted. So it seems that greed can be active but also passive. Active greed seeks to increase what we can have. Passive greed hoards what we already have. Reflecting on the 10th commandment, Russell Reno, professor of theology and ethics, says, Avarice can take the guise of prudence and insinuate itself under the cover of seemingly virtuous and sensible cause of thought. We see Reno's point when we look at the latest round of panic buying happening in Singapore after Malaysia's lockdown. On any given day, it is right to make sure that you and your family have enough to eat, and it's good to be prepared for the future. But surely you can see why these good and right reasons may be misused during a viral outbreak. Surely there is something wrong when some people are buying more food than what they presently need, while others are deprived of food. Surely something is wrong when some people are overprepared, while others are ill-prepared. Imagine a family issued with a stay-home notice who can't step out of their house. They cannot buy groceries on Red Mart or any other online shopping mall because everything is out of stock. Their friends and relatives try to help them to bring food, but they also cannot find any food in the markets. The law says you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbour. But I think it's not wrong to add, in the spirit of the commandment, that we should not cover anything that should belong to our neighbour. Now, there are very many laws in the Old Testament associated with the Tenth Commandment. Laws against fraud, dishonesty and robbery. Laws concerning loans and pledges, weights and measures, tithes and offerings, land and property, hired slaves and stray donkeys. Laws on remission of debt redemption of houses, emancipation of slaves, and the year of jubilee. Fortunately, even though we are recording this live, we do not have time to go into all these. 
Let me just share very quickly three practical principles derived from these laws. First, do not take advantage of your neighbor's dependence. If someone needs us for anything, we should not try to gain something from them. For example, if a relative is dependent on us for money or for food, we should not make money from supporting them. This is from Leviticus 25, verses 35 to 37, which says, If any of your kin fall into difficulty and become dependent on you, you shall support them. They shall live with you as though resident aliens. Do not take interest in advance or otherwise make a profit from them, but fear your God. Let them live with you. You shall not lend them your money at interest taken in advance or provide them food at a profit. I've heard the story of an old man who went through a major surgery. He became dependent on his sister for help during his recovery because he was not married. This sister made him sell his HDB apartment to pay for food and shelter in her house, which essentially means that he has nowhere to go back to once he has recovered and is forced to leave his sister's place. And the thing is, this sister could well afford to support her brother even without his money. This is a true story and a very sad story, but such things do happen in reality. Which is why the Tenth Commandment teaches us not to make people poorer when they come to us with their needs. The second principle is this. Do not take advantage of your neighbor's misfortune. Exodus 23 verse 4 says, When you come upon your enemy's ox, or donkey going astray, you shall bring it back. Meaning, if you pick up something valuable, you should not desire to keep it for yourself. You must endeavor to return it, even if it belongs to somebody you hate or who hates you, even if you don't know who the owner is, even if you have to go all out to return it to someone who was careless. You must not harbor the evil thought of keeping the item to teach the careless owner a lesson. So in the beginning of the year, two of our members misplaced their wireless earbuds in church. One pair of earbuds was found and brought to the church office. So our church administrator, Jenny, made some inquiries, huh? and then we were able to restore them to their owner. The other member was not so fortunate. His earbuds are still missing. Next time you pick up something valuable within our premises, bring it to the church office for safekeeping. Uh, but if it's a heavy bag with a tick-tock, tick-tock sound, huh? uh, call the police. Principle number three. Do not take advantage of your neighbor's prosperity. Uh, this is an interesting one. Oppressors are not always the rich and powerful. The less privileged may also abuse the more privileged. Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 to 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put it in any container. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you shall not bring Tupperware to free meal. Okay, nobody here to laugh anyway. <laughs> Jokes aside, there are two sides to this law. On the one hand, the poor are given special permission to eat from other people's farms, 
On the other hand, farmers are protected from exploitation. This is a beautiful law that balances the needs of the poor with the protection of the rich by setting limitations to what may be taken for free. Furthermore, when we understand that this law is an application of the 10th commandment, we will see that taking more than we need, even if it is from someone who can afford to give, is greed. Let me now turn to conclude our sermon series. Many unbelievers and even Christians falsely believe that Christianity is a judgmental and punitive religion. The Ten Commandments are seen as the symbol of God's restricting control over us. I mean, just listen to what this preacher just said. Do not take advantage of your neighbor's dependence. Do not take advantage of your neighbor's misfortune. Do not take advantage of your neighbor's prosperity. So restrictive. And then if we do not comply, we are wicked sinners, condemned to die. Who can tahan this kind of religion? But truth be told, when we look at the commandments and think only of ourselves, judgment and punishment are all that we will see. Our self-centeredness, selfishness, leads us to hate God and be envious of our neighbor. Our insistence on getting our own way, believing that it is the better way, leads me to detest God's ways and into conflict with other people. However, when we repent of our selfishness, turn around and think of our neighbor as ourselves, we see that the law is God's goodness. Instead of, I cannot take advantage of my dependence, I see God protecting me when I am weak and helpless. God makes me rely on him, and he will not take advantage of me. Instead of, I cannot take advantage of the unfortunate, I see God caring for me when I am careless or when I meet with accidents. He is concerned for my misfortune and looks to restore me. Instead of, I cannot even take advantage of those who are richer than me, I see God safeguarding my interest when I am being generous to people. He shares with me his joy of blessing humankind by making me a blessing to others. The law, far from being punitive and judgmental, reflects God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. I would like to affirm that the Ten Commandments are written for our well-being. The saying is true. When the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, it is for our lasting good, so as to keep us alive, as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, we will be in the right. That is, in right standing with God. But there is more. If obeying the Ten Commandments is our obligation to God, blessing us is God's obligation to us. Therefore, I say to you, take advantage of God. Take advantage of God. Don't worry, I'm not degenerating into a prosperity gospel preacher. Let me show you with biblical proof that God made a covenant to prosper us and how we can take advantage. Recall that the Ten Commandments were given when God initiated a covenant with Israel through Moses. 
The entire covenant-making story spans six chapters from Exodus 19 to Exodus 24. And at its center of this covenant-making story is the covenant agreement in chapters 20 to 23. Here is an outline. The covenant agreement is the contract, if you like, between God and Israel. In chapter 20, verse 2, the parties signing this contract are identified. Verses 3 to 17 is the Ten Commandments, or the executive summary of the contract. Then the rest of the chapter 20, all the way to chapter 23, verse 19, contains the details of Israel's obligations to Yahweh. And now I draw your attention to the most important part, most important only because it is often neglected. God's covenant obligations to Israel in chapter 23, verses 20 to 33. What are God's obligations? Let's look at a couple of key verses. If you will truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. God is obliged to protect and fight for Israel. You shall worship the Lord your God, and I will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. No one shall miscarry or be barren in your land, I will fulfill the number of your days. God is obliged to give Israel material wealth, good health, to bless them with children, with long life. In other words, God is obliged to prosper Israel. Therefore, when Yahweh became Israel's God, he demanded obedience from Israel. But he also demanded of himself to bless Israel. According to the covenant, God will prosper Israel so long as Israel obeys, that is to say, remains loyal to God. So it is the same for us Christians. The moral way for Christians to get rich and prosper is to remain faithful to God by obeying the commandments. If you want blessings and protection, do not bow down to any graven image. If you want to earn big bucks and get promoted, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you want to have a long life, honour your father and your mother. Refrain from adultery, murder, stealing, deception and covetousness. And you shall have plenty to eat and drink and enjoy with your family and still have something left to give to the poor. To be sure, Israel was already delivered out of Egypt before the covenant was made. And as Christians, we have also already been delivered from darkness into the kingdom of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Obedience does not save us. However, it is through obedience that we may enjoy the abundant kingdom life here and now. And through obedience, we become a blessing to the world and a witness to God's reality. Some of you may be thinking, are you sure? We see that the wicked are prosperous and not all Christians are rich. Do we really have an advantage if we obey God? In an ideal world, when everyone perfectly obeys God, there will be no evil nor poverty. But the tragedy of a fallen world and sinful humanity is that we cannot perfectly obey. Whether as a consequence of our own sins or the sins of other people, the wicked are prosperous and not all Christians are rich. Nevertheless, when Jesus shall return, 
everyone will receive from God the justice that is due. To those who believe, our eternal inheritance and glory. And to those who don't believe, eternal deprivation and shame. This hope of the glory of our coming Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is the reason Christians persevere in obedience, even if we cannot obtain perfection. And so we ask the Lord to help us. Every time we hear the proclamation of the Decalogue, we respond with these words. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Amen. Meaning, let it be, Lord, that this is what we must follow, for it is your holy word for our own good. Have mercy upon us because we have not kept this law and we will fail to keep it in the future. Incline our hearts to keep this law, because only you, Lord, can make us desire to be good and become good. So now as we close, I ask you to say together with me, wherever you may be, this response to God's word. Together we say, Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.